rolling. Extra, extra. This just in. Welcome, Welcome to Uncover Girl. Girl, the podcast that unpacks the most memorable celebrity profiles of all time. We're your hosts, Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst, ready to unravel and review every culture-defining A-list interview with the help of writers, industry experts, and even the talent themselves. Journalism might be dying, but you better believe the celebrity profile lives on. Off we go to Montecito to meet ex-duchess Meghan Markle. In possibly the biggest house money can buy. There is homemade jam, royal tea, and some snarky brilliance. Maybe you've already read it, but you heard it here first. Um, hello. Hey, hello. How are you? I'm honestly feeling a little bit nervous, a little bit trepidatious about this episode. This is possibly our most divisive yet. I know. This is a complicated one, I think, for many, many reasons. Well, it's our favorite podcast host, first of all, uh, yeah. a comrade in arms, if you will, mm-hmm. in the podcasting space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not her exclusive claim to fame, but, you know, she she broke right out there as, as the number one podcast when she debuted. So, I mean, she's... Was she, it really? Number one? Yeah, yeah. As soon, wow. as soon as the first episode came out. Wow. Just shot right up there. We are, if you haven't yet caught on, talking about the one, the only Meghan Markle, mm-hmm. former Duchess of Sussex, current non-active royal, royal adjacent, living in Montecito, which is like a little suburb outside of Santa Barbara. So between, I guess, Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, Gorgeous. Which, yeah. Absolutely stunning. Oh my God. It doesn't get much better than that. That is truly no. beautiful coastal California and very accessible to LA. where Ivana and I both reside. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get into it, before we get into it, because I'm literally like, yeah, we'll loosen up. We've got to loosen up. I'm so nervous about this. What's inspiring you, Ivana? What is going on? Okay. What's inspiring me is I've changed my therapy time from evenings to mornings and it's totally different. I'm like coming to it downtrodden 7 p.m the sun has set for like three hours at that point already you're like unloading yeah yeah versus morning i am like living an aspirational life in therapy in the morning we learned that i don't need to get an mfa in writing (laughs) oh is that what you felt you had to do well this week that was in this week i was like wait oh my god do i need more education (laughs) yeah it's like do I need to do this? But do I need validation? No, I don't. Do I need someone's like approval? And do I need like instruction? Do I yes. need to like, because I came to reading and writing very late in my life because I spoke English as my third language mm-hmm. and could barely read by the time I was in elementary school, like hated it. Writing, no grammar, no punctuation, no spelling, still struggle with all of those things, which yeah. is hilarious as a professional writer. <laughs> I've just, I don't care. I don't care. I don't think I'll need the grammar. So Okay, so to not caring, that's what's inspiring me then. And uh, what's inspiring you? I've got a kind of an X-rated story as to what's inspiring me, but it didn't inspire me. It made me really fucking angry. And then I reevaluated my my anger and regretted it and then was like, actually, no, I was justified in it. I could have just explained it a different way. But I heard from an, an ex-lover, if you will, <gasps> um, <laughs> the, the, the oh genuine shock that was, I don't think you thought I was going that No, direction. I... I've been, I, I'm at the edge of my seat. You cannot talk fast enough. <laughs> I dated a guy um, back in New York and he um, 
he was a really nice he was a really nice guy he was really smart he was in college I think he was like a minor league drug dealer like was definitely I think dealing weed mm, um but was but it was a really lovely guy like dressed really cool which meant a lot to me at like 22 23 <laughs> and paid for things which also meant a lot you know the bar was low and just a nice guy and and we used to talk on the phone for hours like we had a great rapport I haven't heard from him in about four years we never had an Instagram relationship we never like followed each other that was never the basis of our our relationship um but he obviously found me on Instagram this week Mm -hmm. and sent me a message tagged me in a story first of all so straight out the gate like we're just we're into it chaos Takes me a story and then sends me a message like, hey, if your relationship doesn't work out, um, come be with, quite literally, like, come be with me. Oh. And I <laughs> replied and I think I, like, owed him a reply and I was like, hey, um, so great to hear from you. So cool that you're doing so well. I thought this was, like, a very mature response. I was like, I don't think we would have worked out regardless, but um, I hope that you are great. He immediately replied to me, like literally straight away. And then he was like, I disagree. He said something to the effect of whatever, like in this very kind of New Yorky way, I'm not tripping like over some pussy or something, blah, 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 blah. It, uh-huh. And I was like, he's how? He said those words. Yes. And I just, so this is, this is where my regret lies. I wish that I had been, said something to the effect of how dare you reduce a human being to their anatomy and just try and kind of bro down chat with me which I know he was like joking like I know that was his like not very funny not very not very not very funny in this climate but I just couldn't believe someone of our like age would talk like that I think he's like a couple years older than me I just can't so I immediately replied immediately without hesitation go fuck yourself nice and then blocked him and did everything but before (laughs) before I was like racing to block he was or he'd already messaged me what question mark and I'd already blocked and I deleted and I wish that I had just because he was clearly so shocked Mm -hmm. I just wish I'd said my boyfriend Chris actually gave me a great response when I told him he was like well this is why you're still single you don't know how to talk (laughs) to women and I was like that would have been great it's true that would have been such a good one um oh I hate that the like when you think of the better response after and then you're like if I had only yeah but there's always and if I had only and if anything all of those responses are more generous because it would have offered him some explanation instead of leaving him in the lurch to sit in his just yeah I was was just seething for the next hour but I also loved the idea that to your point, he would have been like, wait, what went wrong? Yeah, I was just really angry. I'm seeing red. Oh, I'm pissed. <laughs> it inspired me to be more riled up. And to this, I think I'm, to your point about MFAs and to bring it around full circle, like I think I'm just caring less and less. Yeah. And I just love it. I just, there's something about it that just makes me deeply connect with another human being when yeah. they are just like, throw caution to the wind and let's go. Um which is actually some advice I'm going to give to myself ahead of this episode, which we're both really, we've been talking about for months. Yeah. Um, and Megan is obviously so divisive because everyone is so invested in the Royal family. They're the kind of the only ones we have. Mm-hmm. And to see an American cross the pond and bridge that gap between two of the most powerful countries and institutions in the world, I, I think was really inspiring and amazing to see go down and for me someone who grew up with the commonwealth for history to repeat itself with 
you know, Mrs. Wallace Simpson or whatever her name was in the 30s, who was a divorced American who married in and then Mm -hmm. the prince advocated when he was supposed to become king. To see that all play out again has been really wild. It's that old saying of like, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, something to that effect. Oh, I haven't heard that, but I like that. Yeah, it just, it always rhymes. But we forget and we end up with a variation of the same thing. Yeah. This cover story made enormous waves. When we started this podcast, these were the kind of stories we wanted to get into because they had an almost immediate effect on public and the public's perception of the talent. It really caused a stir and Megan herself was asked to respond to it, which doesn't always happen either, but it just shows the the power that is um, anything royal related, especially the fascination with Harry and Meghan, um, who chose to leave the royal family of their own volition and two years later are still talking about it. Yeah. Welcome to Megan of Montecito in New York Magazine by Alison P. Davis. Oh, who's a writer that I think we both really, really admire. Absolutely. Oh my God, she kills. She... An incredible writer um, and has had the trajectory I think a lot of journalists would love to have, which is to go from writing features um, to concurrently taking on copy clients to now writing, producing, and directing. So her latest credits include, you know, the 11th season of American Horror Story. Um, She's been working on AMC's new series, 61st Street. And the month before this cover dropped, she also wrote the – August cover story for the cut, which was uh, diving into her relationship with Tinder mm-hmm. after spending a decade on the app. And so oh, yeah. that one was so good. So she's on an absolute streak by the time she goes to Montecito to meet Megan. And Megan has, I guess, been living there for a year and a half or so. Like they moved mid pandemic. It's been an interesting time. She's had a child. Um, she's now 41, which I find so fascinating. All of the the junior royals, Harry, Will, Kate, and Meghan, are within two years of each other. Whoa. Harry's the youngest at 39. Uh-huh. Kate's 40, Will's 40, and Meghan's 41, the oldest. Oh, my God. Isn't that really weird? That, that just doesn't is. happen that way. That's so close in age. So they close are in age. peers. They're peers. But... To get into Megan a little bit, she was born and raised in the Valley in LA. She ended up going to Northwestern um, doing communications, like a double major. I remember seeing her for the first time in Suits. Really? Yeah, yeah, I watched the I remember her from Deal or No Deal. Did you actually I was did an, you see her on Deal or No Deal? I believe so, yeah. I was an avid Deal or No Deal watcher. Wow. Me and my dad used to watch it all the time. So she was a recurring gal on Deal or No Deal. I believe she was and one of the suitcase quit. girls. She was. She yeah. was. I just didn't know she was in like a ton of episodes, but obviously like you saw her I've many seen times. Her. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I also remember her because <laughs> on the 90210 reboot, she was giving one of the protagonists a blowjob oh. and you just see her kind of like sit up and wipe her lips and yeah. So I remember her from that as well. So it's like a really weird, she was... Everywhere and nowhere almost, although yeah. Suits was clearly the breakout role. But she meets Harry in the summer of 2016. Uh, she's living in Toronto at the time. And they are introduced by the founder of Soho House. So there are conflicting reports about how this kind of came to be. It was like allegedly a blind date and she didn't really know what she was getting into. But who knows? It may have been a setup. I think the press has liked to argue that she kind of pursued him and asked for the introduction. They start dating by, I think, 
spring of 2017, sorry, fall of 2017. So within a year, they're engaged. They're married in the spring of 2018. Whoa. So I did not realize. Under two years, they were married after meeting. Wow. Which is just a quick turnaround in anyone's book. That that's so fast. I just yeah, I find it I think we talked about this with Brad and Ange as well, in the sense of like having children so fast. I just I don't know how you can really get to know someone, especially under a microscope like that, at that rate. Yes. Eighteen months, twenty months. Now fast forward to twenty twenty two. They have two children. So yeah, <laughs> pumped out the children pretty quickly. Uh they had left the royal family to live in California and she is now in the midst of two multi-million dollar deals with Netflix and Spotify. And that's where we kind of kick off with Alison P. Davis hanging out with Megan ahead of the debut of Archetypes, her podcast. It's interesting. I find Alison P. Davis a very interesting choice for this profile because she doesn't do puff pieces. She will cut you to the quick. She's very honest. And what's so interesting about this profile is from reading it as a fellow writer, I can immediately tell she didn't like Megan. The word that's come out after it's published has been snarky. Mm. But when I initially read it, I thought, okay, fans of Megan are going to read this and think it's glowing. And critics are going to be like, lol, she saw right through her. And that's kind of what you want to achieve with someone that you don't, you didn't really click with. And that's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. Where it's like, there are no, there are no digs in this profile by any means. There is no... I disagree with that, but you have to read between the the lines. lines You do. To get to them. You do. You really have to actually like critically read. And I think like Alison P. Davis has done a masterful job at like making both things be true at once where it's like, wow, I'm like, this is such an impressive life. And then being like, wow, this is such an impressive life. Exactly. (laughs) Because all that came out of it really was like this cut writer hated Megan. And I think the reason why is because there are so many critics of Megan. So, so many people read this and go real, recognize real, realize, realize, (laughs) realize, baby. (laughs) Like they really just saw what they wanted to see in this, which is probably what Alison like intended to convey. Um, but she also wanted the duality of fans to feel seen as well. But we're going to start at the beginning. Alison, is welcomed in by California dream queen Megan, who she says is relaxing in a cozy chair, gazing over all that is climate controlled and high ceilinged and sun dappled and hers. Gorgeous prose. Gorgeous prose. <laughs> An invisible hand has lit a Soho house branded rosewater candle. The founder, Nick Jones, is a friend from long before I met Harry, she says. She's already distinguishing herself from Harry as someone separate of him Mm -hmm. because she knows the Soho House founder well. Alison goes on to say, in the lull in conversation, Megan turns to me and leans forward to ask in a conspiratorial hush, do you want to know a secret? I'm getting back on Instagram. It's like when you have all this like hope built up and then it just swooshes out of you. (laughs) It is a letdown. Yeah. It's like, oh. I also find it interesting that to promote this piece, the cut used one pull-out quote. And Megan is obviously very bright, very eloquent. And she says a lot of smart things in this profile. And she says a lot of kind of controversial, like fun things as well. Mm -hmm. Juicy things. Yeah. Those things. 
But the pullout quote they use is, I'm like so excited to talk. And to include the like, I think feels so purposeful and pointed. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you have the liberty to cut that out. Oh, absolutely. Most people would. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they're already reducing her to the valley girl yeah. that they see her to be. This is what Alison is writing. Before everything difficult that spun off from marrying the Duke of Sussex and along with him, the British monarchy, she was just Meghan Markle, a woman with a plum role on a USA procedural and a moderately popular lifestyle blog, The Tig. As herself, she'd amassed 3 million Instagram followers by sharing snippets of a basic life. Yoga, food she liked, hikes with friends, her beagle guy. Again, the word basic is, I think, very specifically chosen. Mm -hmm. A load-bearing word. A load-bearing word. I think a fan would be like, oh, yeah, it was just a – they would interpret that or cinemize it as normal, regular. Anyone else would be like, Mm -hmm. Alison thinks this girl is a basic bitch. (laughs) That is what what she's taking away. So Megan kind of starts to unravel her life in the royal – um, sphere. And I think I'm not one at all to, to critique Alison. I feel like she has so much to get through with this profile, but I actually would have loved in the traditional feature sense or interview sense to have a little bit about Megan's background. I kind of want to hear about Northwestern. I kind of want to talk about the, the early movie kind of extra circuit and just kind of life before Harry, maybe her like previous relationships if her publicist would let her go there even slightly i think there's a lot of untapped potential there in learning about this woman and we just basically go straight into the royals which i mean by the time she met harry she would have been like 37 ish Mm -hmm. like she'd already lived a pretty full life she'd already been divorced um so i think that's just skipped over and i wish i'd seen more of it I also would have loved to hear about that, but I feel like that is like the first thing to go because it's like, what do the people, people want to hear about? Hear. Yeah. It's like the royal family. A hundred percent. Immediately. And that's, as soon as possible. And that's the reason we're here. Yeah. We're here because of the royal family, which I completely understand. We're not here because of suits. So we're going straight into, into her time being a royal. She reveals pretty quickly, and this got picked up almost immediately, that she had no autonomy over any photo that was released. Any photo of her children needed to be fed out direct into uh, this press pool of kind of tabloids they had close relationships with. And she also talks about, you know, how social media wasn't on her horizon for a long time because the bullying had been so bad. So then Allison says, so this divulgence of her saying, I'm getting back on Instagram, is actually a symbol of progress. She says proof that she and Harry have made it to the other side of all the drama that defines their past three years. As much as Alison is trying to, I think, let Megan's quotes shine and give her enough space, she can't help but saying, this is what it's like to sit with this woman, which we actually these days don't get a lot of. Oh, which, and I love. And I, I love. It tells you so much. It's the best, it's the best part. So she goes, though she has been media trained and then royal media trained and sometimes converses like she has a tiny bachelor producer in her brain directing what she says. At one point in our conversation, instead of answering a question, she'll suggest how I might transcribe the noises she's making. I can't help but think if I was to be in the same position of Megan and someone profiling me, I'd be thinking the exact same things. I'd be thinking, oh, okay, I just flicked my wrist. What is, how is that going to be spun into a larger narrative? Megan talks about her journey from deal or no deal, suitcase girl. And this was, (laughs) 
This this quote really stuck with me. From suitcase girl to princess had the making of a fairy tale, or at the very least, a stellar romantic comedy, but it almost took no time to turn into an extraction plot from a mid-90s political thriller. Which is true. I don't think anyone watching that 2018 wedding could have foreseen what, what was going to go next. down. Yeah. I remember the wedding very vividly. I was at Vogue at the time and I remember because I was working in like beauty at the time, it was oh. a buzz with talk of her makeup and yes. how the freckles had shown through oh. and how difficult that is to do and how like, tr- I mean, she did. She looked luminous that day. She did. Yeah. Yeah. They then post wedding uh, in, I think, pretty immediate discussions with the higher ups about how she's not really happy and how she kind of didn't really know what she was getting into to some extent, which again, a lot of people have criticized and been like, how could you not have realized they have a six week vacation in Vancouver Island. And then that turns into a kind of a year away where they're receiving financial assistance from Charles. And then they announced they're stepping away entirely, which became branded as Mexit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over this time, she, forms a relationship with Tyler Perry, which is which is so funny and specific. She kind of starts unloading on him. And then Allison writes, in a plot twist I may never get over, Perry offered her one of his homes, a literal safe house in Beverly Hills, complete with security detail, and became in many ways the reason that Meghan and Harry started their new life in Southern California. There's this privilege that seeps out of every sentence. She is ringing every word for otherworldliness in terms of the way that she's living. It really, yeah, it reads as like celebrities are nothing like nothing. Us. Don't forget. Yeah. Don't ever get it twisted. Mm-hmm. And Allison is trying to just kind of scrape away just all the um, accoutrement that is Megan's life and work out who the real person is that she's sitting with. So she says, my first glimpse of Megan in this new chapter is her crouched in the entryway, arms wrapped around her black lab. She stands and smiles with the perfect level of warmth, a gleam of her teeth rivaled only by the shininess of her blowout backlit by the late morning night in a scene that looks like a Nancy Myers cinematic interior town and country goop and architectural digest had an orgy and created the perfect moment in California living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the idea of a Nancy Myers town and country goop orgy. Yeah. It's such a beautiful. <laughs> also, it's like, I'm there. I know exactly. You know, what, exa- you know yeah, exactly what the you're like grandness at. that she's witnessing. So this house, um, they found for just under 15 million at the time, neither of them had jobs and apparently were just aspirationally, um, scrolling Zillow. And since their inked deals with Spotify and Netflix have kind of netted them like 125 million. So now it's like well within their means, which Allison makes a point of saying. But she does say the Montecito house is the kind of big that startles you into remembering that unimaginable wealth is actually someone's daily reality. Mm -hmm. She says the home equivalent of billionaires dressing down in denim. Oh, that's such a good line. Yeah. I had chills. Yes. And that's the takeaway from the entire profile. Yeah. She is saying Megan is showing up in a pair of jeans mm-hmm. <laughs> and some a Canadian bag- tuxedo. A Canadian- if you <laughs> Throwing back to her, yeah, her, her roots. roots. Yeah. Um, and she's showing up in some Birkenstocks and being like, this is me, baby. Yeah. And Allison's calling bullshit. That's the take. So she also, this is just a a cute little line, but she says, Megan stops to point out two massive Dr. Seussian palm trees dead center on the lawn. So verdant. It's better not to consider the water bill. It's icy. It's barbed. I don't think you would be this cutting 
if you loved the person and if you got them and if you really connected with them. I also, my grandma has this saying, um, it's like an old Macedonian saying, laugh at the rich and laugh at the old. And that's like the only people that it's okay to laugh at. This is a big laugh at the rich moment. It's hard even to call it cutting because it really is just pointing out like the reality. Yeah. Of like, this don't is think how about much the water bill. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the water bill is astronomical. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think that there really is a taboo in like American culture where one, it's like, don't talk about the money, don't talk about someone's wealth and treat it as if it's normal and aspirational. And I think I, I personally love it, adore it, can't get enough when it's called out as the absurdity that it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's what we're craving as well. Yeah. We we want that. We want someone with a removed perspective. We're sick of like the fawning kind of, yeah, the adoration that comes with a lot of celebrity features these days because you can't publish anything else. Yeah. So I think this is why this feels so refreshing because it's real. Yes. Um, it's like a genuine. Oh, it's a genuine and it ha- portrait. It has a perspective, which I also think. I actually can't imagine because knowing like what the reading, like how widely this would circulate, Mm -hmm. I actually can't imagine the strength of Alison P. Davis not to write for the reader, but to write like with a genuine perspective and a voice for this story. Yep. I don't know how, knowing the pressure, knowing that like it's going to be millions of people that are going to click this and read this because everyone is obsessed and needs to know what's going on Mm -hmm. with the ex-royals. And the British press are going to rip it to shreds oh yeah limb by limb yeah so at this point harry appears and i think that's when you truly get an idea of just how much access she's been given which we talk about a lot just how rare access is these days the fact that allison has been invited into the home is now meeting harry the it's, kids are there the kids are there yeah. um yet to be revealed but the kids <laughs> pop up at the end the the one point of harry appearing really just plays into how everyone sees Harry. I think their relationship reads a little codependent from an outsider's perspective. And he says, you were gone for like 10 hours yesterday, which means that they spend a lot of time together. The fact he was noticing, and I know because like I work from home with my boyfriend during the pandemic and still do. (laughs) If he's gone, it's like, where'd you go? And then, I mean, he's just so in love with her. He says to... He says to Megan, like, tell Allison the first thing you said when you got back last night. And then he turns to Allison and says, she said, I'm not a model. And I was like, no, you are. Of course you can be a model. And she's like, no, I'm a mom. And he's like, you can be both. I just loved that because I think that he is just, he's a baby. He's a puppy. I think he's just a little angel, like too good for this world and is so like beautifully earnest yeah and whichever side you land on with Megan if she's like kind of a a shameless climber who's taking this guy for a ride or if they're genuinely in love and this is like the fairy tale for the modern times I think he's the same in both narratives he's just the doting husband who is just happy to be here Yeah, and I do really admire the way he's, like, come to defend her and the, like, seriousness in which he took her mental health, um, especially in, like, a completely unsupportive environment that, like, allowed his own mother to despair for years and years. Like, I think that that's very touching. 
Um, yeah, the parallels with Diana are mentioned by Allison in mm-hmm. this in this piece, and yeah, I mean, it's just it has colored so much of their experience together, um, and in the public eye, that yeah, there's no way you can't make that connection with you know how she was treated and how Diana was treated. I think the difference with Diana is that she was so beloved by the public, yeah. Um, and that was ubiquitous. Everyone had the same perception of Diana. It was the royal family to whom she was a threat. Whereas Megan, I'm I'm yet to meet like a true Megan stan. I haven't met one yet. Also the UK, it's talent or celebrities are so at the mercy of press. So that's the other part of it. It's like just very different to how celebrities are gate kept here and they use social media to communicate with their audience and subvert the press. So the press don't have the same amount of power. I think fundamentally, regardless of what someone represents, we are most like turned on by them when we think they're a cool person. Like mm-hmm. that truly is what gets us going the most. So whatever it's, it's, it's just so interesting. Everyone has a different take. Um, but you can't deny like she did, she married into one of the most powerful families in the world. And Alison makes a very valid point of saying, looking around from the high ceilings to the, the chicken coop to the, you know, the beautiful places for Archie and Lilibet to, to play. Like this is so beyond what she would have achieved with her lifestyle blog and suits. Like this is another level of, of wealth. But their their post-royal lifestyle isn't without its hurdles. She had a project axed by Netflix. Um, so yeah, this deal with Netflix is fucking insane. A hundred million dollars. And she, they don't have a lot of friends. Um, this is the other thing. But she has befriended this woman, Victoria Jackson, who owns like a makeup empire. And she's actually quoted in this piece. She's one of the rare... Uh, people to to make an appearance outside of Megan. It's just Harry and Megan, other than this kind of one-off quote. Victoria Jackson says, I hope that people take their foot off the gas a little bit with all the negative spin because they're really good people. And Alison lets that hang. She doesn't editorialize that even slightly. She just lets that hang and immediately moves on. What's interesting about what comes next is Alison really positions... Megan and Harry's personal spending and the way Megan mentions money against the public perception of how they spend money. So Megan's quick to be like, we just went back to the cottage where we were living in the UK and I brought these $30 pants from Bowdoin back. And it's like, of all the things, why would you say $11 gloves? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think I found that really startling that she would kind of mention the price also it's not cheap enough to I always say this to my mom my mom always tells the price to people who ask what she has bought and they'll be like beautiful jacket and she'll be like thank you so much it was $120 and I'm like (laughs) mom that's not an amount of money that people are going to be like wow you would say can you believe this jacket was $15 from Goodwill like that's when I feel like you can really hammer it home yeah I love uh, it was five dollars she also says, I picked up all my photos that are in there, like good old Ikea frames. It's very, 
I, I mean, I'm such a cynic, like you're such a nicer person than I am, but like, <laughs> it's so calculatedly grounded to me. It's just interesting mm-hmm. because then Alison immediately dives into how they were criticized for spending an exorbitant amount of taxpayer funds on upgrades for the home that they'd been gifted by the family. Um, so it was something I think like 3.2 million US dollars. And Alison has a, has gone in with a, with real intention here, but she then adds, you know, they've repaid all the renovation costs. So mm. she makes a note of that and she makes a point of, of weaving that in, which I think is, is commendable and necessary and good journalism. Yes. This is all like very like ethical in everything she points out. It's all very fair, balanced and ethical. There's nothing. I don't think you can fault her in any way. No. And, I, and Pairing a black woman, Meghan Markle, with a black writer, a black female writer, was a super, super necessary because I don't think it had been done at that point, apart from obviously her famous interview with Oprah. But from a print perspective, also kind of genius because it just was like, okay, we're, there's no racial bias that, that is driving this. And Meghan, rightfully so, has been talking about racial bias in the press for a really long time. So it was nice to have that removed from the conversation, especially when Megan went on to obviously call this this profile out and respond to it. And that didn't even enter the conversation. And a lot of commentators looking from the outside in also brought up that point. So that's interesting. And it's, again, we've just been having this conversation about how truly not diverse the world of profile writers has been like all through history. Yeah. How, I mean, of the profiles we've already covered, I think two have been white women and then... One has been a white man. And Um, looking back through history, they're actually all white men. Yeah, they're all white men. Um, Yeah, even finding the the women felt like a rarity. Yeah. Um, But also what we've been talking about in should you always pair or should you try to pair the the writer with the talent um, in terms of background? And I feel like a piece of it is also like, I am just like always a huge proponent of giving women of color, specifically black women, huge editorial opportunities. Like this is a big cover. This is going to be a piece that goes places and people are going to read. And like, it's one thing to give, you know, an accomplished black writer, like a little, you know, a little interview here and there. It's another thing to actually be like, this is the cover we're going to fight for access as I'm sure, honestly, they had to, I cannot imagine that the starting offer was like, come to the home yes. where me and Harry and all the kids <laughs> are. I have to believe that there was like advocacy that went into being like, no, in order for this to be written well and it to be right, there has to be access. I also wouldn't be surprised if, if race was used like a little bit of a Trojan horse here in the sense of like, Alison P. Davis is such an incredible writer and she's the perfect woman for the job. Yeah. Just regardless. But if there was any pushback from publicists in terms of like, okay, this woman's about to get way too real and we can't risk that, they can be like, look, we just really want to pair Megan with a black writer, like a, a woman of color. Like we think that would really align and that would be very beautiful because if I was a publicist, I'd be absolutely shitting myself that Alison P. Davis was coming to yeah. Megan's home. Like, I wonder if that was, that was a conversation and just like getting ahead of it, just being like, we would love to have these two talk to each other, but she does skewer her. This is one of the most revealing, and I would say the 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 crux, the the pinnacle of the entire profile, and this is what caused the real stir because everyone was like, "Dude, if you're trying to escape the royal family, why do you keep 
talking shit. Like this was, I think in the UK, they were frustrated with. But basically they get into how, what when Meghan and Harry asked for a reprieve and asked to kind of go and live in any Commonwealth country like New Zealand, South Africa, everything was kind of on the table. The royal family just absolutely shut it down. And Meghan is saying, look, we weren't reinventing the wheel here. There are members of the family who've managed to do that and do that successfully. And we thought like, why can't we be the same? And Alison says, well, why, why do you think that is? Like, why not? Why didn't they let you go? And then Megan turns around and says, why do you think that is? So Alison goes, you know what? Let's get into it. Let's actually think about why they didn't let you go. Let me kind of put two and two together. She says, Maybe as Harry battled on her behalf with the tabloids, one stern statement after another, it all became too airily reminiscent of Princess Diana. Or maybe it was because by the time she met and married Harry, she was already a fully formed American woman, self-made, self-refined. She had desires and goals and a fan base. And while she was a fine actress, the job she is best at is envisioning a life for herself and getting it. That specific type of very American ambition just isn't really compatible with being a princess, though it is compatible with her current life, a palace and a better climate, still culturally considered royalty while having freedom from the royal family, a level of celebrity that exceeds what she could have gotten through suits or the tig. That's what, that's what you said earlier. I know. And it's like, <laughs> there it is, baby. There yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Like, And there's no way I think anyone... Or Megan could read this and mistake her intentions. She sees Megan for who she believes she is, which is someone who played all her cards right and got very lucky and then orchestrated an escape and landed on her feet kind of better than ever. Oh, yeah. And I thought also, I mean, yeah, this whole paragraph where you read from, I also think it's so interesting where she like, I don't know, lists out, I think the specific credentials where she's biracial, a divorcee, self-made millionaire, and wait, clothes horse? I don't know what that is. Just like a model? A model? Yeah. Oh. I have just someone who that. wears clothes well. Clothes oh. horse is like oh it's like a you know, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. Like lay your clothes out to like to dry. dry. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And only highlighted the ways in which the monarchy was becoming irrelevant to a younger generation, and worse, the ways that it was deeply flawed and racist. To that, it could be just that she's black. I'm like, oh, it's so perfectly balanced. Oh, it's so nuanced. Yeah. Truly. She writes always with Megan's perspective in mind. Yeah. And Megan's defensiveness in mind. And she always works that into the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, I think, it's like, tell me what you really think. That's when yeah. she really gets into, once she's covered that base and she's good to go, then she's going to lay it all on the table. And that's what I, that's what I gleaned from the next part. A palace mm-hmm. in a better climate, still culturally considered royalty. And this really flows perfectly into the introduction of the podcast, which we're just getting into at this point, um, which is the first episode. Um, yeah. Debuted at number one on Spotify. And the first episode was with Serena Williams And Megan says how she never thought being ambitious was a bad thing until she started dating Harry. Alison then says it's a conversation that hovers between candid or planned. And that's like a lot of Megan's existence. Mm -hmm. Is -hmm. it candid or is it planned? I personally, I don't actually feel like I know. It seems manicured 
mm-hmm. of like none of this is thoughtless for sure. She's not like falling into anything. No. And that I think discredits her like strategy. Agreed. His position, his stature would have played a huge part in her attraction to him. And I'm sure their quick courtship also was somewhat deliberate. Like I I can't like, yeah, I, to your point, I think that's discrediting her to not, <laughs> to not think that. Um, I don't think a dim woman would have ended up in the same no, situation. There's just, there's no chance. There's no possibility. This is another part that um, caused a lot of stir. Megan offers an anecdote that is kind of so outrageous. It almost throws everything that she said up until this point into question by (laughs) talking about the time she was in London and seeing the live action version of The Lion King. Uh, She just had Archie. She talks about how it was a really, really difficult time for her. And she met a cast member from South Africa and he said, I just need you to know when you married into this family, we rejoiced in the streets the same we did when Mandela was freed from prison. Yeah. So I like people have called that an outright lie, but it's just, I would never share that to a reporter. And, and like the, yeah, the next, the next bit of that paragraph suggests that maybe she like tried to backtrack or like tried to be like, I know that that sounds wild of like yeah she knows she's no mandela but perhaps even telling me this story is a mode of defense and then this is this is for me this is this is for you this is this is the moment where i think where i went (gasps) if you are a symbol for all that is good and charitable how can anybody find you objectionable how can anybody hate you the word hate hits so hard because when have you ever seen the word hate in a celebrity profile never Never. i have chills i have chills again never i have really yeah yeah and i just think that it it's sort of the thing of like i just think it's like a hello a silent hello from the hilltop of like (laughs) i know what's happening like it's just like the coolest coming from inside the house exactly yeah and the the next kind of and i'm just gonna skip really because the the next kind of part is of no real consequence i think but again plays into the same the same plot point of just Megan being perfect wife, the perfect mother. Um, Allison goes with her to pick up Archie from preschool. He runs into her arms. It's this beautiful emotional reunion. And then there's an unhoused man on the corner as they're driving home. And Megan pulls out a bag full of food to give to him. So she's like just setting the scene of like, this is yeah the most charitable person on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Allison says, you know, do you think there'll ever be room for forgiveness uh, from the royal family? And Megan goes, I think forgiveness is really important. It takes a lot of energy to not forgive, but it takes a lot of effort to forgive. I've really made an active effort, especially knowing that I can say anything. And I don't think I mentioned this earlier. She hasn't signed any NDA. She is free to talk. So when she joined the family, she never was contractually bound to not speaking to the press. So that's why they're just freewheeling out here now. But Mm -hmm. she's her implication here is that there's so much left unsaid that out of respect for them, she hasn't gotten into. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she kind of sends Allison on her way. She gifts her a harvest basket of fruit and vegetables from the garden and Allison wonders if she'd somehow missed everything Megan was trying to say. What a way to go. I think she is us in that moment where she doesn't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Candid or calculated, like, which 
who is this human mm-hmm. and what is what's behind this veneer it's such a complicated story this story of her rise to the yeah. royal family yeah. and then falling out with the royal family and there's so much that we'll never know certainly there's so much that you know what is happening behind the scenes at the firm a thousand year old institution mm-hmm. like we'll never know what really occurred this came out 10 days before Elizabeth's death, as you kind of noted. And she went on to give an interview to Variety, which I think was her first time speaking publicly after Queen Elizabeth died. Uh, the interviewer said, you've done two major interviews since returning to America, one with Oprah Winfrey and the other with New York Magazine, which some have found to be snarky. What has it been like to open up about your life now? And she, in no uncertain terms makes it very clear how she feels and says the New York magazine story was intended to support archetypes and focus on our projects. I've had some time to reflect on it. Part of me is just really trusting, really open. That's how I move in the world. I have to remember that I don't ever want to become so jaded that that piece of me ever goes away. So despite any of those things onward, I can survive it. Yeah. So she absolutely knew. Yeah. 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 Of course. And I feel like that's the easiest cover up. That's like always the thing that I've heard and the horror stories that I've heard from friends, which is like, this was supposed to be about my new album. It wasn't supposed to be about my life, my life and it's or like, who I am. What, what do you think we're clicking into? Yeah. We're only here for your life. Yeah. With the album is a perfunctory peek behind the curtain and then you're going to swing it wide open for us now. Like this is the whole point. Also because the life provides the context for the album. Yes. It's like really are we supposed to talk about archetypes like the podcast and like <laughs> and how like, women are mislabeled without getting into how you've been mislabeled it, as a woman exactly exactly that's the that's the piece of it and snarky yes but like beautifully so oh my god beautifully so and like for fan- and fair and, and fair, fair. <laughs> and for fans like probably imperceptibly snarky yeah but the problem is that megan has so many critics yeah I think more critics than fans. And that's why that was the consensus on this piece. Mm -hmm. Fans probably would have been like, go off. We stand a queen who's giving out fruits and vegetables and everything's gorgeous and glorious in Montecito, California. Like a fan would truly be like, you get it, girl. Like you, you deserve this. Yeah. I mean, it is an aspirational story. Like when you hear how she's living these days, it's like, may we all you know, retire to our beautiful palm tree speckled ranch in Montecito. Yeah. When all Uh, this is said and done. Yes, exactly. Um, So I, yeah, it makes sense to me that people really would be like, wow, I'm so happy for her. But I just think that Alison P. Davis has like really painted a gorgeously nuanced and subtle portrait um, in a way that that Megan response. I mean, I guess of course, if you were to read this about yourself, you would be like... Oh, I would be devastated. <laughs> I know, embarrassed. I'd be, embarrassed. I'd be devastated. Because this is the thing, it's not cheap. Like, at no point in this. And I think that's what I meant by there are no digs. Like, I think that there are no there are no cheap digs. There are no, no. digs that are... Um, they're expensive. That come, they're expensive digs. They're yeah. expensive digs. That Montecito real estate expensive. Yes, exactly. And I think in that way, it's like, what really is there to point to? Where you're like, you you were inaccurate 
Yes. And that's, I think. But that goes yeah. again back to like the racial bias thing. There's nothing you can ha- like hang your head on there. Yeah. There's nothing you can hang your head on with clickbaity reporting or just bad reporting. There's no obvious rebuttal to be had here where it's like she just she lied yeah her recorder wasn't on Mm -hmm. she doesn't like black women like there was nothing there's nothing that she could come back with so all she kind of had was like i was too open and trusting yeah but of but of what like then are you saying that the story was too honest then she got it too right Mm -hmm. and you wish you hadn't been that honest yeah (laughs) you know it's like that's that's the thing like Allison, if you're if you're out there, if you're listening, incredible work, we, incredible work, and we would love to talk to you about yeah. it. Two big, big fans, big time fans, and a story that I would love to have written. Everything I I aspire to in my own work is right here on the page. It's so it's so fucking brilliant. Yeah, but and it really actually has. I mean, illuminated every time I've read it. Illuminated to me the things that I'm afraid of and the things that I like. So often I'm like, I'm afraid that you know this could come off as this way or that the talent will be upset or the people will be upset. You really, I think, have to have like an incredibly strong nervous system to be like, I know that people will be very upset no matter what I write. And so it's like, I might as well write what I actually think, or I might as well write what you know, what I know and what I saw and what I No, This is incredibly brave because she's isolating someone for life at this point. I wonder what those emails were after it went live. Oh my God, I can't (gasps) even imagine. But to get into the podcast a little bit, I I almost wish this was written a season in and not to to just promote the debut of Archetypes because it's it's had some, it's premiered to some mixed reviews. Um, Yeah, I... I don't know if you've listened to it. I've listened, yeah. Yeah. In preparation. And not to, I mean... I would never knock a, a fellow podcast. No, down. we're all just trying to live we're, here. We're all just trying to, you know, create some kind of engaging content. But I think what's so interesting is, and I think this is probably this is probably what she was most devastated with in the piece is that Megan is clearly a very smart woman, but she doesn't come across that way necessarily in the piece. And I can hear in the podcast how she's gone back and post and rephrased her questions. And again, this is conjecture. I don't know this for a fact, but I, I can almost just assert in this. Like I, I, I'm positive that she's going back and um, re-recording her questions to be more articulate because they are so perfect in a way that it's impossible to get like on the fly when you're interviewing talent, like really beautifully phrased um, with like enormous words and, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's just an interesting, I I mean, it's been called insufferable. <laughs> I personally, I'm going to be really honest, cannot get through it. I found it really, really, really difficult to listen to, but it's also like, she's copped a lot of flack for it as well, because she said, like, she talks about never really realizing or being aware of her race until she started being with Harry. And like that, I, I find hard to believe um, in America growing up in the nineties, like an a- being an actress, being an actress. Yeah. I, yeah. There's some contradictions there. Cause she also talks about like not feeling black enough or white enough. So I'm like, then you were kind of aware of it. A, a critic kind of wrote, we're so used to Megan's attempts to rewrite history, but now it seems that her guests are also falling victim to their own truth. What would archetypes be without a long winded soliloquy from Megan about Megan? Is this a running theme in Megan's life? 
walking out of a job because not every aspect of it suits her. And they're referring to the fact that she opens this episode about bimboism mm. um, with the fact that she was on deal or no deal and she quit because they didn't take her seriously for her brains and they were giving them spray tan vouchers and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, babe, like, what do you think you're there? You're a suitcase girl on deal or no deal. It's a paying job. Like for a lot of actresses, that's getting by. That's the dream. I found that really difficult to listen to. Yeah, that's also so many people's coming up stories. Like, I I don't know a single profession, especially in the creative sphere, where you don't have to, like, at some point do a job that obviously is, Doesn't like, take you too seriously. Doesn't take yeah. you seriously mm-hmm. or is, like, outwardly degrading for yes. most. Yeah. Or is, like, horribly paying. Like, it's, like, there are so many ways, I think, to come up in the world and none of them completely saves you from yeah, and you're using what you've got yeah and to play into pretty privilege but then bemoan it i think is yeah i just find that really naive to be like grumble grumble you guys should have had me like waxing lyrical about sir isaac newton like it's like mm-hmm. no it just doesn't that's not what you were there for this is the whole point this is the culture we've created and i understand you trying to make a buck from it and i have no qualms about you doing that i'm like more yeah proud to it's it. a job it's a like, fucking job it's a job yeah i it's this profile man it cut me to the quick mm-hmm. uh no pun intended <laughs> great work from the cut yeah but how <laughs> How did it make you feel? How do you feel in the in the aftermath of reading about Megan? I feel one just like so much respect for the the writing, the craftsmanship of this profile. I feel like that like really, I just like truly can't believe it, how good it is. And I think the other piece of it leaves me very sad for her. It just seems, I don't know, like this is such a difficult part to play. Or, like, with the archetypes to, like, I just feel like I would be completely unraveled, frankly, if I was, like, trying to uphold myself. Yeah, portray this image of, like, I – basically, I am, like, a saint – and like that's the problem it's so and even if you listen to the podcast it's the same thing it's so perfect yeah it's it's so flawlessly engineered there's nothing again to use the word allison uses candid about it mm-hmm. and that's what's so difficult to relate to and so fucking unlikable and i wish someone would and i don't know if it's, she's capable of shaking it but i wish someone would kind of take her by the shoulders and be like you're enough. Like just yeah. tell us something real, real. Mm-hmm. anything. And maybe that's the thing. She never could. And she, that is, that's how she's gotten to where she's at. And it's all she knows. I, I understand th- you feeling sad. I, I don't feel sad for her. <laughs> like, li- like she is truly living a charmed life of her own orchestration. And that is more power to her. That's really fucking impressive. She's in Montecito. Like, yeah. She is fine. One to Pulitzer. What are you given? I feel like Pulitzer. Like in, I mean, yeah. I don't want to give those this freely, came out but... in 2022, so it, who knows? Yeah. But... <gasps> oh my God, it should. It should be nominated for something. It definitely should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's at a nine for me. It's, at, it's yeah. pretty high up there. It's a really, really great piece of writing. Yeah. And we are so lucky to have read it. The Power of the Pen. I know. I know it is. It is in- inspiring, upsetting. Yeah, thought provoking for sure. Yes, 
tell us your thoughts on the ever divisive Meghan Markle. And if you've read this profile or you haven't yet, just go back. It's really, yeah. really worth it. It's really worth the read. Beatrice, I feel like you've really illuminated so much. This is, I know, and I know this is a tough one. Did I come in too hot? No, not at all. Okay. I think you were very fair. No, I think, I think you were fair. Okay. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And if you need our New York Magazine login, email, password, DM us, baby. We got you. We're here to serve. Yeah. Oh, happy to do it. Happy to do it. We're public service here. <laughs> Argos, next week, we'll be back with hopefully not as divisive profile for you next week. Yeah. Oh, can't wait. Just as just as juicy to sink your teeth into. Yeah. Thank you to our sweet uggos for listening. Sweet uggos. We're really trying to make it happen. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I pray it does. <laughs> Take it on. <laughs> Wear it. Live it. Love it. We love you. Thank you. And bye. Bye. <laughs>